0: Serving the community at Tri City Medical Center with Aaron Bizak. Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact, an essential podcast for those who live, work, visit, and play in Carlsbad. Good morning and welcome, everyone, to our Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact podcast. My name is Brett Schansenbach, and I'm the president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce. And I am your host today. And I'm very pleased to have with me my good friend, Aaron Bizak, who is the Chief External Affairs Officer for Tri-City Medical Center. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Not a problem. I know uh, life is busy in the medical world, so we appreciate your time. You know, speaking of the medical world, doing my little background research on you um, and knowing you as long as I have, you've had quite an extensive career in medicine that started all the way back as an EMT, if I remember correctly, maybe even before being an EMT. Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah.
1: And actually started before I was an EMT. It started when I was 16 years old. I actually worked as a delivery driver and as a clerk at a little mom and pop pharmacy in downtown Carlsbad called McDonald Village Pharmacy.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: It was on State and Grand. Uh, And so I worked there. And so that was my first entree into the field of healthcare. And I kind of got to see the plight of the small business owner and and the challenges of being an independent pharmacy going up against the big chains. So it was very interesting, but it was interesting because it really led into my career, early career in emergency medical services, because by the time I got there, I knew what all the medications were for. Oh wow! And I was very used to speaking with elderly patients, uh, because that's, Primarily what I did was deliver medication to elderly patients in their homes from the pharmacy. Right. Wow. And so when I started working on an ambulance at 20 years old, I already knew what all the medications were for. So it kind of gave me a little bit of a head start. And you already had that uh, comfort with that clientele. Right.
0: That's wild. So, So you went from the pharmacy to being an EMT, and then
1: just your interest in the whole healthcare field just flowered from there and continued. Yeah. You know, I was on the path to be a firefighter paramedic and then had a series of Events happen. One, I had heart surgery, mm-hmm. the, the first of, yeah. of two procedures. I know I had one a couple of years ago as well uh, for a congenital heart defect. And my experience as a patient really changed the way I looked at healthcare. And I became extremely interested in the preventive side of healthcare, and in particular in healthcare policy, because mm-hmm. my thought was healthcare policy has the potential to impact people on such a larger, broader level that I'd be focused on that. And so I did something that not a lot of people do. And that is I switched out of EMS and I went into the field of healthcare policy. Yeah, that's probably not a normal jump or transition for folks. <laughs> no, there's no book at Barnes and Noble that says how to become <laughs> how to go from being an EMT to working in health policy. But you know, I put together a plan with my grandfather of what I would do. And it was really focused on formal education, college and whatnot, and professional experience in a couple areas of healthcare. And I interned at a California state senator's office, actually Senator Bill Morrow. Mm -hmm, I used to represent this area. I was involved with the chamber uh, when I worked for him. Sure. And uh, just worked my way up in the policy side of things, ended up working for the county board of supervisors, Pam Mm Slater-Price, when she was down at the county board in district three, and then went to graduate school and got my MBA in healthcare management and policy and put it all together to go work on government affairs for hospitals. That is fascinating. The your involvement
0: is not just limited to like what you currently do for Tri-City Medical. You have other things and and this one was new to me when I was doing some research. I haven't heard about this one yet, but
1: um, you have this thing that seems pretty cool called Hazel's Army. I do. Yeah. Share with us about that a little bit. So when I first worked in emergency medical services, and got interested in policy one of the areas that was a primary concern for me was how we were treating seniors mm. in assisted living and skilled nursing facilities and my grandparents are very influential in in my development because those who know me know that my childhood was a little rough yeah. uh, with my parents because of drugs and alcohol so my grandparents were really the rock of the family and so i became very interested working on ambulance of how, how do we treat seniors yeah and that was my first policy focus it was how do you make assisted living and skilled nursing better? I ran into a lot of challenges trying to change things and eventually kind of meandered in different directions to hospital based healthcare and things like that. But in 2013, my grandmother, Hazel, died at an assisted living facility due to negligence and neglect. Oh, man. And so when that happened, I saw that as a. Uh, the universe telling me that I needed to come back to this issue. Right. And so I created this group called Hazel's army. And I teamed up with a lot of other advocates who had been working on issues for many years and politicians locally. And we passed the most comprehensive assisted living reform in generations in California that year in 2014, actually. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. And so obviously that
0: experience in your personal life fueled you. Um, You shared a little bit about your experience with your own parents, which was rocky. Right. That's fueled you, too, because you have a passion on
1: the preventative side of substance abuse. Correct. Uh, I would love for you to just share your passion on that a little bit. When I was 11 years old, I made the decision to stay away from drugs and alcohol permanently. I'm 43 now, and I've never had alcohol. I've never had drugs. Wow. And it was because I saw a connection between the substances that my parents were putting in their body and the life that I was living, Mm. you know, constantly moving, you know, electricity and gas being turned off, not enough food, things like that. And so I made that decision when I was young and I mentored my brother, who's younger than me to do the same thing. He's on the same thing. And when I went into work in politics, was working for Senator Moore. the very first event I went to was the 10 year anniversary of the North Coastal Prevention Coalition. Ah. And I looked at them and This is a group that works on drug and alcohol prevention, particularly focused on youth. And the goal is to give them positive, healthy alternatives and to create an environment in which you're not overloaded with pro-drug and pro-alcohol messaging. And I thought, wow. These are people that are helping kids like I was Mm -hmm. make the same decision that I did. And so I got involved with them. So I've been on the board for almost 18 years now. Nice. And I've been president for eight of those 18 years, (laughs) including now. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. for what you uh, volunteered for. That's exactly right. Yeah. (laughs) Don't
0: ever miss a meeting, Brett. That's right. (laughs) So um, all that leads you to to Tri-City. And I think it was 2018, where you may of 2018, if I'm correct, where you took on this new role as chief external affairs officer. So share with us your desire to come back here and work here
1: in North County. After leaving the political realm, I'd worked for UC San Diego Health for many years as their head of government and community affairs. And in 2017, I was laid off from that position. And what was interesting, I was like, I got a call about a week later from a friend of mine who worked at UCSD. And she said, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm consulting. And she goes, do you think you'll ever go back to work at hospitals? I said, well, maybe. And she goes, if you could, where would you go? I said, Tri-City. Mm. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, Tri-City. It's the hospital I was born at. Yeah, I delivered patients to the emergency department every day for many years. Mm. I knew the place like the back of my hand. Uh, and it's where I live. I live in Vista. I grew yeah. up in Carlsbad, Oceanside, and now I live in Vista. And so I thought... What could be more important than serving the community hospital that is serving your community? Yeah. And really getting involved. And then a year later, the position opened up at Tri-City and I went for it and I was lucky enough to get it. And I've been there ever since. That's fantastic. And, you know, you mentioned your
0: passion for policy. And I remember when you first started at Tri-City, you hit the ground running. And there was all kinds of policy initiatives. And um, there were some very impressive slash intimidating PowerPoint slides about all these initiatives and, and things. And you were into it. And then comes 2020. Right. You, were, you also were dealing, well, by the time COVID hit, you were dealing with some successes in the behavioral health arena. But before that, there was a lot of uh, turmoil. Let's just call it that. That is that is correct. Yes. <laughs> a lot of turmoil in the behavior health arena. And I think we should cycle back with the good news right. before we finish today. But but you were dealing with all of that and going full bore. And then something that I don't think anybody could have prepared for was a COVID hit. So talk to us about the experience of uh, what you were doing in
1: 2020. A lot of work. We yeah. were doing a lot of work the situation that you never really anticipate happening. I mean, a hundred year pandemic, yeah. but it was something that I think everyone on our leadership team and in our clinical team was prepared for uh, in that they had a lot of experience. It worked at other places. There was yeah. no newbies <laughs> to yeah. the um, to the healthcare space. And we rallied together and made things happen. And you made things happen despite the fact that you have limited resources. And everyone has limited resources, right. access to personal protective equipment or supplies or whatever it may be. But then on top of that, you're a relatively, we're a relatively small community sure. hospital. So it's not like we have some endless stream of funding to pull from right. uh, to pay for these things. And so we got together and everyone was working 16, 17 hour days, seven days a week to, to make it happen. And most important was how do we protect our staff? Yeah. And how do we take care of our patients in the best way possible with so many unknowns? Yeah. And we were able to, I think, pivot very quickly. And despite the fact that we had tremendous financial pressure. Yeah. Because once the state shut down what they would refer to as elective surgeries, which is largely most of them. Right. um, That are non-emergent. Revenue dries up Mm. in that situation. So you have very limited revenue coming in. Many people are staying away from the hospital, even if they're people that truly need it. I mean, yeah. heart attack patients just trying to ride it out, Ugh. you know, stroke patients trying to ride it out. You know, initially there wasn't a massive influx of COVID patients, but right. you're prepared for them. You have to create, you know, alternative uh, processes for for bringing people into the hospital and then. Eventually, as things started to kind of moderate, we had a little um, surge, so to speak, in July Mm -hmm. of 2020. And then when winter hit, it went through the roof. Gangbusters. And every hospital in San Diego was dramatically impacted by it. At one point, at our highest point, we had 100 COVID-positive patients in beds in the medical center, which I think we only had 200 people in the hospital that day anyways. Total. So half of them. Wow. We're COVID patients. Yeah. But luckily we were able to, to weather that storm and get through it. And our staff did just an incredible job and really were innovative as, as you could possibly be in those circumstances. And we made it work and we, we've, we've sort of, hopefully I'll put little finger quotes around emerged Yeah, yeah, from the pandemic. Sure. You never know what could happen. Yeah. Um, but that's where we're at and, and we've been able to weather the storm. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. You mentioned how people were, um, you know, staying away from the hospital, even when they had needs that would legitimately cause them to go, you know, being a parent of a big family and then just Being a human being, you know, you have your times where you you have to go to the emergency room. And so I've I've had them with my kids and family over the years. And the emergency room, as you know, can be long and it can be all these things. Well, I had my own incident during the spring or late spring of 2020, and um, I had to go to the Tri-City Medical Center emergency room. And there was nobody there. It was like a ghost town. And I was in and out. I mean, everything was fine, thankfully. I was uh, happy for that. But I think I was in and out in less than two hours. And it was unbelievable. And I I felt bad that people were staying away that much. Because I know that wouldn't be the norm. I mean, granted, you guys are efficient. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying it was palpable how few people were coming for things that they normally
1: would have come for. Yes, that's right. And I think the challenge is, is that when you delay care like that, and certainly knowing it, having worked in emergency medical services for seven years of my life, all it does is compound the problem. Right. And so when you come in, you're sicker. Yeah. And so you end up having at a hospital like ours, fewer patients, but much sicker patients. Yeah. And so, so those patients are are taking up ICU beds that are otherwise going to COVID-19 patients and things like that. And so, and it's very taxing on the staff. Yeah. It's one thing to see patients throughout the day, you know, and you get some patients that are minor injuries or illnesses and some people that are acute. Uh, But when you have largely acute patients who are coming into the hospital, it's very difficult for the staff. Yeah. Uh, And so, but our staff, they're, they're troopers. They made it through and they're doing pretty well. And yeah. we're, uh, we're extremely proud of them. You mentioned something
0: in the previous uh, comments about the challenges financially. And I really want to hit on this because there is that myth and that really bothers me that somehow hospitals are financially making a windfall out of this whole
1: COVID thing. And I would love for you to just kind of share the reality of that. Right. So, I think a lot of people, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of how hospitals get paid for the, for the patients they see. And so what you end up receiving is you end up receiving a, a case rate, so to speak. You get paid for a patient who's seen, let's say their flu or let's say their COVID or a hip fracture or diabetes, and you get paid a set amount. And if they stay there for a short amount of time you might make money off of that. If they stay there after a break-even point, you lose money. And so for a condition like COVID, your break-even point might be day three and a half or day four. And our average length of stay for COVID patients was 12 to 15 days. Wow. And so every day after day three or four, that's all cost, all expense, and no additional reimbursement. And so That creates a a financial strain on the organization. But then you add into the mix that you don't have revenue generating procedures like knee surgeries or Mm -hmm. even the heart procedure that I had a year and a half. I had the heart procedure, I think, two and a half months before COVID happened. I wouldn't have been able to have it. Because it would be considered elective, even though it was extremely dangerous. Did it feel elective? It did not feel elective (laughs) to me. No, it was a rough go of it. You know, that's my congenital heart defect uh, rearing its ugly head. It was interesting that it it happened 10 days after the 20th anniversary of my first procedure. And my old medic partner, who's still my friend, came to the hospital that day and he says, you know what happened? Your 20-year warranty ran out. (laughs) So <laughs> this is this is how it works. Your warranty <laughs> runs out, you're going to have it. It's like what happens with your car when your warranty runs out. Immediately, it will break down. Exactly. So, And then if you bought the extended warranty, it's the day after that. It's the day after that, yeah. always. That's great. It's, uh, yeah.
0: And then, you know, uh, there's a lot of publicity around, uh, you know, money from the federal government in many forms of stimulus or support. And I'm hoping that you guys got some, but I am very aware that... Uh, You've got not one penny, not a nickel from the state of California to help support you in your
1: operations of dealing with COVID. Is that correct? That is correct. Not a penny. I mean, just in lost revenue in 2020 calendar year, 2020, I believe it was $37 million in losses. Mm -hmm. And we received $11.4 million from the CARES Act, which we're extremely grateful for. Sure, Very helpful from the federal government. Uh, But, you know, the methodologies that they use uh, to calculate who gets what amount of money, might not have been completely connected mm-hmm. to the burden or the the challenges that you're facing as it relates to covid yeah um and so it creates a, a difficult situation but we were able to be very creative uh, and make things work and I, I will tell you we didn't publicize this but the entire executive team voluntarily flexed their pay mm. throughout covid wow um and we didn't say anything but we thought that from a leadership standpoint we should do that Wow! And so you had people flexing 50% of their pay and working well, more than full time, which they typically do anyways. (laughs) When you you work in hospital leadership, yeah, you know, it's, it's challenging, but we also knew that, look, we're in a financial situation and we're the leaders of this organization and we need to do what is right. And that's what we did. Yeah, that's tremendous. So you mentioned that at
0: the peak, uh, right around January of 2021. uh, You guys had, I think, 100 COVID-19 patients in beds in the hospital. So now that we're right around uh, five, six months after that, how's the status? What's it looking
1: like for COVID? Yesterday, we had four. Nice. And the day before that, I believe we had two. Nice. So we're aggressively pursuing zero. Um, But but we're here for the community. So if there ends up being a surge, we're going to be here. You're ready. And we're going to take care of it. And talking about more fun topics. So you guys, you have a, a major anniversary coming up. That's right. This so, summer. Yeah, we were um, open July 12th, 1961. And so this is our 60th anniversary. Awesome. Yes, it's, it's quite amazing. And so we are using it as an opportunity because we can't do necessarily large-scale public events, at least sure. when we were planning for it. We weren't anticipating large-scale public events. We decided to make significant investments into not only our staff but the appearance of our facility and so we're, we're working on a number of really cool things we're actually renaming the towers at the hospital after the cities that we serve nice uh, the towers have previously been called south tower center tower and pavilion which incredibly creative very creative yep. and so now they're <laughs> going to be called carlsbad oceanside and vista pavilions nice And we are aligning the look with our new brand. So we refreshed our brand with coastal colors, really tying in the local community. We are bringing in some amazing photographic art from Aaron Chang. Yes. Um, Absolutely. So we're going to be having photographic art throughout the hospital. We have a new color palette for the interior of the hospital. So we're going to be doing some, some new walls in there. We have a new history wall that's going in. Because I think a lot of people don't understand the history of how Tri-City and many of the other district hospitals came to be in the 1950s. These were rural areas. Sure. Yeah. And it was a matter of fact, it was the heads of the chambers of commerce. Yep. And the city council members and other business leaders who came together in the 1950s and said, we need healthcare up here. We need a world class facility here in North County in our Vista, Oceanside, Carlsbad area. That's exactly right. And so they formed Tri-City. We opened in 1961, like I said. And so we are going to tell the story of the history of Tri-City on a history wall that will be near the entrance of the medical center right near registration. So we have that fully designed and there'll be panels for each decade and then space for us to write the future of the organization on the wall as well. And so we're doing those things and we're also doing a big healthcare heroes poster campaign. So we went around and took these beautiful headshots of staff members at all levels of the organization and they're all healthcare heroes to us. So we're we're created a poster campaign and they're going to be spread out around the hospital. It's a philosophy that a lot of people make fun of me because I'm very California and I grew up in a surfing family. I call it pockets of awesome. Nice. That when you walk around, you should run into little pockets of awesome. Yes. In the hospital. I love that. Yes. And so that's what we're doing. We're creating little pockets of awesome around the hospital and really improving the place. And then on top of that, we're refurbishing the emergency department. Yes, I saw that online, that that's a whole redesign of the ERs coming. Yeah, that's a huge deal for us. And so with the generous support of the Copley Foundation, yeah. the David Copley Foundation, they provided us a $1.2 million grant. And that's, it's a matching grant. And so uh, for every dollar we raise, we get $2 from them up to $1.2 million towards this project. And that will completely redesign and refurbish um, the the larger front portion of our ER, which would be the waiting room, the triage area, the team triage treatment nice. area, and station A, which is one of the three stations at the hospital. But we're going beyond that. We're also doing new flooring throughout the emergency department because nice. it's a high wear and tear area. Yeah, we want to sure. make sure that it looks, you know, it looks nice. Plus you add in the art from Aaron Chang, and it's going to be a completely different look at the hospital. So we're currently fundraising for that. We have a number of events coming up. We actually have a Home Run Derby oh. fundraiser that not many people do. I so, heard about that. yeah. So, we're, we're just about to come out oh. with that. And that'll be nice. in August in Carlsbad at Poinsettia Park. Oh, fun. And so, we're doing that. And it'll be all ages, all skill levels, and male, female, you name it. And then we're also bringing back the Diamond Ball. Oh, great. In the fall. In the fall. And so, in October, October 23rd, we're going to be at the Omni La Costa Resort. It'll be an outdoor oh. concert with Seal. Oh, so Seal is going to be the singer. Okay, I'll be there. <laughs> yes, awesome. exactly. Yeah, so, so we're doing great. all these these really great, amazing things at the hospital, and it's just it's it's a good time to be at Tri City Medical Center. Well, as a uh, a Tri City uh,
0: resident myself, yeah, you, you know, I work here in Carlsbad, live in Vista. My two youngest kids were born there. My wife worked there for five years as a nurse. You know, I appreciate all that you guys do. Um, you really do keep a world-class facility here. And it's so important, you know, from a business perspective, as we're trying to attract talent for our big companies and things, that's one of those quality of life metrics that people look for. How is the healthcare in your area? And so what you guys provide is very much appreciated, very valued. And so I wanted to thank you for all your commitment and dedication um, in that. And but I did wanted to circle back to just one other thing I found online that was new. Now, you teased it a second ago, but um, it looks like you're a co-owner of a surfboard manufacturing company with your brother, maybe? <laughs> no, or? my dad. Oh, with yeah. your dad? Okay.
1: So, so yeah, I own uh, part of the name, Okay, <laughs> the naming rights for it. And I've helped my dad uh, with stuff before, but my dad's been shaping surfboards for 50 years. Nice. And... Uh, north county and my dad was the lead shaper for 27 major brands of surfboards wow uh, for for many years and so he's if you go into the california surf museum on the surfers family tree surfboard shavers family tree he's in there oh that's and so i've helped him with his business over the years and he's doing really well right now and that's great instagram is an amazing tool right (laughs) um, particularly in the surfboard industry it significantly increased the sales for the organization and whatnot but yeah he's doing pretty well surfing had to have been a pretty covid friendly uh, activity. Well uh, they shut down surfing early on which I did, didn't really make a lot of sense to me but right. uh, actually we end up seeing a lot of people buying surfboards at that time picking it up. yeah I mean, look we live in a coastal environment, right It goes back to the the you know the identity of our hospital really needs to be tied to the coast. That's yeah. why you know the, the new colors the all the naming the things like that. And so I think that, you know, Tri-City Medical Center is in this unique position to write its future for the next 60 years. You know, you teased a little bit in the beginning about the policy stuff that I got involved with in 2018. Oh, right. It was related to behavioral health. Yes, that's you know? right. So there's a so lot of talk about that. And, you know, I won't belabor the point and go into all the, the circumstances that led to that. But. Ultimately, what came of it was we have an agreement with the County of San Diego and we're in the process of developing a psychiatric health facility on our campus, 16 bed adult inpatient locked psychiatric health facility that will be on the westernmost portion of our campus. And so the county's leading that project and we're yep. supporting them and, uh, and we're moving forward with that, which I think is also a key component of the behavioral health continuum. If you remember the conversations that we were having, the presentations I was making, it was about the continuum. Yes. And this is a a broken system. Yep. Largely. And, you know, inpatient behavioral health is one piece of a much larger puzzle. Right. And so. I remember the puzzle. Right. You you remember the puzzle. (laughs) We've been putting together the pieces of the puzzle. And so along with crisis stabilization units in different cities, including Vista and Oceanside, inpatient care with us. We think it's going to go a long way and we think it's a, a really good opportunity and it's a good partnership with the county because he created a new model for reimbursement. Yes, that is, you know, hopefully sustainable, whereas the old model for reimbursement was not sustainable for really any of the behavioral health providers. Right. And that was the thing. Right. So um, getting it to a point where it could be sustainable is
0: I know you guys took a lot of heat so to speak, for the very difficult decisions you made. But the fact of the matter was what was going on before wasn't sustainable. And whether people were willing to look at the facts and acknowledge it or not, um, that was the reality. So you took all the rocks that were being thrown at you and and you weathered it, but you got to the other side. And that's what's so commendable because now we're at a situation where we are going to have a sustainable solution
1: for all the parties involved. Right. You know, and it was interesting because when that happened, I'd been at Tri City for two weeks. Right. I just stepped into the role. Welcome to the team. Welcome to the team. And as I shared with people at that time, because, you know, there was a lot of misinformation that was going on uh, at that time. And so it's incumbent upon me as the chief of external affairs to correct the misinformation. Yeah. And so I did so and I went pretty much everywhere uh, to, to do that. And, you know, I also shared. The fact that this was not a decision that was entered into lightly. Yeah. You know, I, I had a family member who was in our behavioral health unit when that decision was made. Mm-hmm. And it's a challenging situation. It was one that kept us up late at night, but we had an obligation to follow federal law. Yeah. And to do what was right for our patients. And that was in this situation, not put them in a facility that the federal government considered to be potentially a risk because of ligature risk, the risk of hanging. Right. And so we made the decision and we pushed through uh, and we're able to create and, and negotiate an agreement that will end up having long term positive impacts on North County and create a resource for people because, you know, one in four people have some form of mental illness. Yeah. You know, and so everyone in their family, you know, has somebody who will eventually face a challenge and we want to be there for them and we want to be there in a sustainable manner. So it's not always up in the air and questioning whether or not we're going to be able to keep the doors open. Yeah. And so I think this is a, it's a really good thing. And you know, it's, it's one piece of the puzzle right? Uh, and there's a lot of other pieces that need to come to come, come together, but yeah. it's, it's a positive for our community. Well, it's very exciting. It's exciting to see the, um, how that's
0: come full circle and now has moved into a positive direction and so many positive things with your 60th anniversary, the new ER coming and activities coming back, COVID's going down, vaccines are going up. And uh, I guess we should throw that out there a little bit. I mean, if you haven't been vaccinated yet, uh, folks, you listening to this podcast, we highly encourage it. Um, Aaron can talk about it from the medical side, but from the business side, you know, Our businesses want to suppress any future surge, probably almost as badly as our hospital does, maybe not quite to the same, but uh, at the chamber, we see that as a path for, you know, getting people back to full employment and getting the economy moving, which helps everybody from both an economic but a mental
1: health standpoint, too. So uh, please get vaccinated if you haven't yet. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's a good point because we actually have a vaccination center at the hospital. Right. It's very highly rated, five-star reviews, Google and Yelp. We've um, provided over 30,000 doses nice. at our hospital-based vaccination clinic. We also had a vaccination response team that was at Cal State San Marcos at yep. their super center. And we had seven people every day out there for months. Wow. And then we also recently launched in April a uh, project or a vaccination program for homebound seniors.
0: Oh, nice. And
1: you know, it's really interesting. I went out a number of the times with the team to do those vaccinations and you realize how many business people and people who would otherwise be going to work were not able to leave. Yeah. They're home because they have a senior member of their family that they're caring for. They couldn't get them out of the house because maybe they're bed bound or whatnot. And so that program, which is actually a partnership with the County of San Diego and 211 San Diego to do that. So if you have a homebound senior in your family that needs to be vaccinated, call 211 and register for it. Yep. And there's a number of providers. We're the one for Coastal North County who are doing that it's a great opportunity. And to your point, every one of these things is a step towards returning to normal. Yep. We're all excited to get back to normal. Let's call it to
0: 2019 normal. Maybe, yes. uh, <laughs> I think one of the phrases I got most sick of in 2020 was the new normal, and I'm not interested in it anymore. Um, I'm going to go to the 2019 normal. I agree with that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it was a pleasure. Um, really excited about everything Tri-City does and represents in the community. Appreciate you and uh, your role. So thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Brett. All right.